Welcome to Accelerating Government with ACT IAC on Federal News Network. Now your host, Dave Winogren. Welcome. It's great to have you with us. On today's show, you'll be hearing from a number of outstanding leaders who have not only survived, but thrived through transitions to new administrations. All of those leaders share a passion for public service and have served in both government and industry. Today is our first episode of Accelerating Government. For over 40 years, the American Council for Technology and Industry Advisory Council has served a unique position in the federal marketplace as a nonprofit whose sole purpose has been to bring together government and industry leaders to accelerate government mission outcomes through collaboration, leadership, and education. If you're part of our over 400 member companies or one of our thousands of active government and industry volunteers, we thank you for your service. And if you're not engaged with us yet, come check it out. Get engaged and help pick up the brush to paint an even brighter future for our nation. Over the last year, ACT-IAG leaders have given a lot of thoughts to both the crucial initiatives that need to continue regardless of the change in administration, and also the new issues and challenges that must be addressed in the years ahead. ACT-IAG's Agenda 2021 project has highlighted issues that transcend politics and parties, top priorities for our nation and the federal technology market. The Agenda 2021 project has resulted in a capstone paper and three supporting papers, all of which are available on both ACT IACS and Federal News Network's websites. My first guests today are Jim Cook, Vice President for Strategic Engagement and Partnerships at MITRE. Jim serves as the chair of ACT IACS Institute for Innovation, and of note for today's conversation is the director of ACT IACS Agenda 2021 project. Welcome, Jim. Hello, Dave, and thanks for having me on today. It's great to have you. I'm also joined for this segment by Mike Howell, the Senior Director for Government Engagement at ACT-IAC and a longtime federal leader who has served in top positions at OMB, DNI, and Interior. Welcome, Mike. Thanks, Dave. It's great to have you both with us. It's an important topic, has great relevancy today. And so, Jim, let's start with you. Give us a sense for the Agenda 2021 project, the work that's been done, and why the theme, Delivering Outcomes and Building Trust, is so important. Thanks, Dave. Uh, Well, first of all, in terms of the project, as you'll hear throughout the rest of this interview, we were really fortunate to be able to collect uh, and work together with a a number of really significant leaders who serve government and industry, all in the interest of uh, improving government and the way it serves the public. So in that regard, it was just a great project to be part of. In terms of the theme itself, we chose the theme of... um, delivering outcomes for a very specific reason. A lot of discussion about building trust in government, and that's clearly a stated priority for the Biden administration as it comes in to government. But in our paper, we wanted to point out that trust in government is something that is earned, and that's why we led with outcomes. Reliability, results, and integrity are all important factors in building trust. It's not just what you say or promise, it's what you do and how people feel about it. And so that's why we really chose that theme, delivering delivering outcomes is the way in which you build trust. Trust is just such an important topic. I remember Stephen Covey Jr.'s book, The Speed of Trust, and the, the cost that you can actually count, both in terms of time and money for low-trust organizations, which tend to happen in large organizations in government and in industry. And so this parallel theme of outcomes and trust is just so crucial for everybody today. Mike, you've lived through transitions in government and now is ACT-IAC's leader for government engagement. Why don't you give us a little additional context about the Agenda 2021 work? as well as some of your experiences in navigating transitions? Well, since 2008, Dave, uh, ACT-IAC has identified important issues and developed recommendations 
in parallel with the presidential election and transition processes. ACTIAC is fortunate to have many members with deep experience in government and industry who understand how the government works and what needs to be done. We were very uh, fortunate this time to have the project led by Jim Cook, Dan Chenock, Robert Shea, Kathy Conrad, Casey Coleman, Alan Balutis, Mark Foreman, Richard Spires, Dave McClure, yourself, Dave Wenergren, and myself. Uh, and they were supported by three teams of subject matter experts and led those teams in the development of the three papers you referred to. So we took this project on in four phases, pre-convention, pre post-convention, post-election, and post-inauguration. And each one of those phases offers different opportunities to inform and influence the incoming administration's policy platform. So our goal and our challenge is to engage those new political appointees and their senior career staff as early as possible, like right now, when the new presidential management agenda is beginning to be developed. Yeah, absolutely. There's no time like the moment. Jim, back to you. Now that we're three months into the Biden administration and you've seen some of the initial areas of focus for the new team, what are some of the recommendations coming out of the Agenda 2021 work that you'd like to highlight today? Well, I think, Dave, a couple of the things that uh, that I'd like to highlight, and I think it'll also get reinforced in some of the uh, the other discussions that you're going to have on this program today, is that um, there's a great interest in building agility and greater agility in government. Um, as as we think, I think we've all learned in the past year, as we've all responded to the COVID crisis and um, the, uh, the, the, the racial tensions and the economic crisis and everything that has occurred in the nation, the ability for government to quickly respond and react is critical uh, to the nation. And so uh, I think there's been a lot of successes over the last year uh, in terms of their ability to do that. But I think the challenge going forward for the Biden administration is how do you, how do you institutionalize that? How do you make that the norm? Agility shouldn't necessarily just be something you do in response to a crisis. You need to plan for it. You need to be um, you need to be agile as a course of normal business. And I think that's really the challenge going forward. And there's also a lot to be a uh, lot to be focused on in terms of resilience, um, being able to recognize and 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 uh, understand risk, embrace risk, but also create uh, embed mitigation strategies to create greater resilience in our systems, in our processes, and in our infrastructure is something that certainly stands out over the last year and is something that's emphasized in the papers. And so that's another area that I think would be important to focus on. And then last but not least, because it does go directly back to the topic of delivering outcomes, is the way in which the government serves the public, um, the type of experience that the government creates for the public in terms of consistency, reliability of services, availability of services. Again, a lot of successes that were pointed out in the paper um, that was written on that in terms of what government was able to position to do or pivot to do during the COVID crisis. But the challenge going forward is how do we make that the norm in terms of the way we conduct business? Absolutely. We broke down a lot of barriers as we dealt with the pandemic and we can't lose ground. The issue of resiliency is just going to come up over and over again in today's show. It's just such a crucial topic for us. Mike, how about you? Would you like to add some additional thoughts around recommendations that are going to be particularly important for the administration? Well, I, I agree with everything that Jim said. The lessons we've seen of the incidents over this last year is that we are living 
in very challenging times. And the government demonstrated the ability to rise to those challenges with industry. And I think we need to leverage those lessons learned. We've proved the possibility, but the sustainment continuing on the themes that we developed that I believe were reinforced by those lessons, that agility and citizen customer experience and transforming infrastructure and managing risk are absolutely the right things to focus on if we apply those lessons learned and make those uh, regular capabilities across government. So as we close out our first segment, what's next for the Agenda 2021 project? And what are some parting thoughts that you'd like to offer our audience? Why don't we start with you, Mike, and then we'll let Jim take us home. Well, the thing I would say is uh, a plan without execution is just a pipe dream. So all of these good intentions and good recommendations need to be executed. And so we have been talking about developing an underpinning set of management recommendations, which could go well in hand in glove with the development of the president's management agenda in order to actually fulfill those recommendations and deliver the outcomes and build the trust envisioned in our papers. Excellent. How about you, Jim? Uh, well, and I, I'd just like to echo what Mike said, Dave. Um, we are starting work. We have framed some some initial thinking around an initial management paper, um, and and it's really focused on, to Mike's point, on how we execute against these other three themes, how we actually deliver on that. Uh, it is critical. It is critical to uh, to the success of uh, of the. Um, of, of, of the goals that, that, uh, that we've addressed in these papers. Uh, and we hope to have that out uh, sometime in the next, uh, hopefully in the next month or so, uh, just in time to uh, be useful to the government as they look at the refresh for the president's management agenda. Excellent. Trust, outcomes that matter, resiliency, execution. You guys hit on all the top topics facing government today. Jim Cook is the Vice President for Strategic Engagement and Partnerships at MITRE. Mike Howell is the Senior Director for Government Engagement at ACT-IAC. Jim and Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Dave. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely. We'll take a quick break now. And when we return, we'll turn our attention to the power of customer experience. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, CEO of ACT-IAC, and on today's show, we're discussing ideas and advice for incoming administration officials, career government, and industry executives. For this segment of our show, I'm joined by Kathy Conrad, Director of Digital Government at Accenture Federal Services. In addition to her senior positions in industry, Kathy has also served as Principal Deputy Associate Administrator of Citizen Services and Innovative Technologies at GSA. Thank you for joining us, Kathy. Thank you for having me, Dave. Also joining us for this segment is Robert Shea, National Managing Principal for Public Policy, Grant Thornton. Robert served in government as the Associate Director of the Office of Management and Budget and is a co-chair of ACT-IAC's Agenda 2021 Steering Committee. Welcome, Robert. I'm delighted to be with you both. Kathy and Robert, let's turn our attention to the Agenda 2021 paper that you co-authored on improving customer experience and transforming service delivery. Kathy, let's start with you. What's at the heart of the customer experience movement? And what are some of the things you're seeing in industry and government that you're excited about? Dave, we are at an exciting point with customer experience. And as we talked about before, I think there's a broad recognition that while trust in government is low, it's absolutely vital to moving the country forward. We see that every day with concerns, for instance, about vaccine acceptance. 
And while trust is low, people are eager more than ever to interact with government using digital services and have really, really high expectations based on their experience in everyday life. So we have this dual challenge where trust is low, but expectations are high. And we see that there's a tremendous amount of momentum around modernizing the government, digital transformation with budget and stimulus package, prioritizing, accelerating, and scaling digital services, OMB, just restored guidance, prioritizing customer experience. And so there's a lot of momentum and we need to be able to break down some of the silos that have been fragmenting services across government and move to more multi or omni-channel experience where data is shared, where infrastructure and services are consolidated across channels and across agencies. Thinking about end-to-end customer journeys rather than looking at one service or one program at a time. Excellent. Robert, how about you? Give us your take on the importance of customer experience and this whole movement towards improving it. Yeah, I think Kathy's right that we're at such a low ebb of trust in government. At the same time, we've seen so many Americans rely so heavily on government that we have a real opportunity to build. We can take what we've learned over the last several years, apply them to improving the customer experience for all Americans, including those inside government, but especially those who are depending on the government for so many important services. Kathy mentioned the restoration of customer experience measurement and improvement framework. That's a really critical step, but that's something on which I think this administration can build and we're seeing it do that, um, even at the early stages uh, in the first 100 days. You know, you mentioned lessons learned, Robert, and we've certainly learned over the last year in a pandemic world, it's never been more crucial to be digitally connected anytime and anywhere. How are you seeing this imperative for self-service impacting customer experience efforts? Yeah, I want to warn you, I got my driver's license renewed this week. So (laughs) you're going to suffer some anecdotes. I mean, we've seen tremendous hardship as a result of the pandemic. I mentioned greater reliance on the government than perhaps ever before in our history. So many programs have had to serve so many more citizens than than in the past that we've seen heroic service from the government and we've seen tremendous failure by the government. We've got a lot of data and a lot of experience from which to learn and I hope we do that. And my driver's license renewal process was just one such example. I made an appointment I went in at the appointed time. They made sure I had all the right materials in order to get exactly done what I needed done. And I was out within a really few minutes. I hope we can take some of the improvements, the improvements in productivity, the improvements in service that we learned and apply them more broadly and continue them. I hope we can continue the way we're doing business today into the future to the extent people are having a better experience. You know, Vaccines is just another example where where I think people may not get it as soon as they want, but when they get it, the experience they're having is a pretty good one. They're they're seeing government really at its best in in a most crucial point in time. Excellent. Kathy, anything you want to add on the self-service experience? Yeah, you know, I think that enabling people to engage with government services at their convenience certainly improves experience and it lowers the cost to serve, freeing up employees to address higher value work. But self-service and enabling people to control their digital experience by selecting when or how they prefer to interact has taken on new importance today 
where, you know, we've just lived through a time of unprecedented displacement, where our lives have been totally disrupted. And we've lost control over so many aspects of our lives that people are really hungry um, to sort of control their own adventure and be able to choose when and how they want to interact with government and be able to take advantage of AI-fueled intelligent assistance, for example, so that they don't have to wait until there's a government employee available to help them, but so that they can have their needs met when and how they want using the channels that they prefer and the tools that are available to assist them. That's a great point, Kathy. And it sort of takes us to my next question for Robert. The phrase customer experience initially made people think about how they as consumers of government services are able to better do business with the government. But you've pointed out that improving the experience must also be a priority for government employees. So tell us a little bit more about this imperative for the improved user experience. Yeah, well, you know, government employees don't serve for the money. Um, They're really about accomplishing important outcomes on behalf of the American people. There are so many interactions that citizens have with their government that don't go as smoothly as you want them to. And that's a bad experience for the employee trying to accomplish a service for the citizen, for the customer. If you improve that experience and it's pleasant for the customer, the employee feels more accomplished, more satisfied, more engaged. And let me tell you, I'm really concerned about if if the economy explodes as predicted, our ability to recruit and retain people is going to get even harder. Kathy makes the point repeatedly that it costs less to perform customer service better than to perform it poorly. So this is win-win across the board, I think, Uh, a real way to improve employee engagement, improve recruitment retention, retention, get the skilled workforce that you need to accomplish all the important outcomes that government does. Absolutely, absolutely. And so in a couple of minutes that we have left for this segment, Kathy, the Biden administration has issued an executive order on advancing racial equity and support for underserved communities. What should agencies be thinking about as they implement this important guidance on equity? So it's such such an important issue. Um, One way I like to think about equity is think about how do you design programs and services in an inclusive way? How do you understand how different groups and individuals experience those government programs? And how do you not only think about having kind of a diverse workforce, it's inclusion and equity goes well beyond diversity and gets to making sure that you understand, for example, the needs of people who may be eligible for a government service but aren't currently enrolled because they don't have access. A good example of that is when we were recently doing research with federal student aid, we found ways to include students who are experiencing homelessness, who often aren't included in the kind of customer research that is so critical to designing programs so that they meet the needs of the people who they serve underscores the importance of understanding needs of hard to reach or often underserved people who very often are the most vulnerable and have the greatest needs. One other quick uh, anecdote that I think is powerful is that when the White House released the new whitehouse.gov site, they at the contact us page asks for preferred pronouns so that the communications people receive are tailored to their preferences. And that may seem like a small gesture, but But that builds trust when you receive a communication that's addressed to you in the way you prefer to be addressed. That's a really good way to think about how do you build trust among the public and how do you make people feel valued by the government? 
Excellent. There's so much more we could say on this topic, but unfortunately we've run out of time for this segment. Kathy Conrad is the Director of Digital Government at Accenture Federal Services. Robert Shea is National Managing Principal for Public Policy at Grant Thornton. Kathy and Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Great to be with you. Thank you so much. All right, we're gonna take a quick break now. Up next when we return, the imperative for agility in government. I'm Dave Wintergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren, CEO of ACT-IAC, and on today's show, we've lined up a number of leaders to offer advice to incoming administration officials, career government and industry executives, building on ACT-IAC's Agenda 2021 project. For this segment, I'm joined by Casey Coleman, Senior Vice President for Global Government Solutions at Salesforce and a former GSA CIO. Welcome, Casey. Thank you, Dave. Good to be here. Great to have you. Also joining us is Dan Chinook, the Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Dan has worked on a number of transitions to include both his time in industry and in government as the Branch Chief for Information Policy and Technology at OMB. Dan is also a co-chair of ACT-IAC's Agenda 2021 Steering Committee. Welcome, Dan. Thanks, Dave. Good to be here. Great to have you. The two of you have co-authored a paper called Accelerating Agility in Government. The term agile has gained great popularity, and while its roots can be found in the agile software development movement, when you talk about agility in government, you're covering a much broader topic. Dan, why don't you share with us some thoughts on this broader imperative for agility? Sure. And Casey and I benefited from great input from across ACT-IAC on a team of leaders who worked with us on this paper and helped us kind of formulate the the way to think about this expanded role for Agile in government programs. And and it really, as you said, it has its roots in software development as a tool and an approach to develop applications in faster increments with, with lower risks. But that type of approach is also beneficial to things like how the government develops policies, thinking about breaking policy down into its different differential people, how something might be delivered to state and local government, for example, and then out to citizens requires a a supply chain of information, sometimes dollars, sometimes uh, contract services that go from a federal agency to a, let's say, a state government, and then it might go to a partner. Each of those steps requires policy decisions program implementation decisions, and ultimately delivery decisions to the citizen. And so each of those pieces can be done sort of in a way that's traditional, what one might think of as a slow, complex government that that thinks about the whole thing at once, or it can be done in iterations where you think about each piece and you develop each piece separately, get user feedback, develop it in sort of cross-organizational teams. All of those things are hallmarks of agility and can be done to really speed up the implementation and deliver services to the American people much faster from the government, whether it's through technology, through program implementation, or even through the development of a regulation. Excellent. Casey, is there anything you'd like to add on this imperative for agility? Yeah, one of our recommendations from this working group was to encourage the administration to consider a policy of agile first, like the cloud first and similar policies in the past, to encourage Agile as the first way of thinking about things and to start to embrace a, a more routine way of moving in short sprints and delivering uh, intermediate outcomes, uh, sort of a minimum viable product, if you will, the, you know, the idea that's come from agile software development, and, and just start to embrace a, a more fluid way of working 
collaboratively, in parallel, in short sprints to deliver outcomes that show results really quickly across not just technology, but policy and uh, procurement, finance, all of the different pieces that go into the ecosystem of delivering the government mission to the public. Yes. We've certainly witnessed some great examples of agility over the last year as government responded to the pandemic. Casey, let's stay with you. What are some of the lessons learned and successes that you've seen in the last year and how can we keep that momentum going forward? There are just so many amazing, inspiring stories of success in the middle of the tragedy of the pandemic. And uh, some of them I'd like to highlight have to do with just really sensible policy adjustments to take note of where we are in the world. For example, the Treasury Department and other agencies started relying on digital signatures rather than physical signatures so that people could work remotely. You saw a move to telehealth with the VA and with the Uh, CMS starting to deliver telehealth services and allow for reimbursement of services across state lines so that people could get health services in a timely way, regardless of where they were during a quarantine. Uh, And a lot of these successes just had to do with recognizing that old ways of doing business don't reflect the current available or the possible from technology and from commercial practices. So I think that what we've seen is a move to adopt some of those best-in-class policy recommendations that let government deliver services that meet expectations of the public in an all-digital world where we're working from anywhere. How about you, Dan? Any lessons learned or successes that do you stand out to you? Yeah, I think Casey's discussion of what happened in the last year really accelerated significantly a trend that's been going on for a number of years. For example, the, the Digital Accountability and Transparency Act, which was led by the Department of Treasury over a number of years, A lot of that implementation was done in an agile fashion, cross-agency teams, understanding how to implement the statute in different ways. So it it was an example of how you can use an agile approach to do statutory implementation uh, as well. And even an organization as large and complex as the World Bank has used agile to transform its own internal operations. So it serves as a model for, for some of these large, complex, multinational problems. Um, Coming back to the federal space, of course, the U.S. Digital Service um, has incorporated Agile as a key tenet of its work as it's expanded its role uh, from technology into program operations and working with agencies on a whole number of areas. We do uh, live in a world of rapidly changing expectations, Dan, and uh, how are those changing expectations affecting service delivery models in government and, and what still needs to be done to meet those new expectations? Yep, we we all live our lives online in many ways. And so we're used to immediate response, uh, getting to somebody on a chat, getting a personalized experience from government. And government, of course, for because of privacy rules and security rules, often is not quite as able to respond from a policy perspective, uh, much less technology uh, evolution that's necessary to address these. Through agility, you can really take this, again, one step at a time, and then get to what I'll call a front-end and back-end transformation that really can address a citizen's experience. So if you think about agility as being sort of just a web-based front-end experience that you might have when you log on, that's going to give you something that, that lasts for a few minutes in terms of your current session. It may not enable you to look across all the different programs that a citizen is, is benefiting from when he or she deals with the government, like the Education Department for Student Loans or the Department of Housing and Urban Development for housing loans or the Department of Veterans Affairs for it help with, with benefits for veterans. So any one person might be working with multiple agencies and, and getting that back end right across those systems is really something that can help give that citizen a whole of government experience so they can get some 
something equally good, whether they go to the Department of Education, to HUD, or to VA in that example, all three agencies are working at speed and with agility to provide that consistent experience. Even before the pandemic, the Wall Street Journal said the most disruptive force in technology today was you and me and our expectations. Casey, are there any other additional tips you'd like to offer on this topic of expectation management? Yeah, Dave, we've, we've seen that the agencies that had already started modernizing, moving to digital cloud platforms and a citizen first or stakeholder first kind of approach were much better prepared to deal with unexpected demands of the pandemic. The Small Business Administration uh, had a system for delivering disaster loans for hurricane or wildfire affected small businesses and in a matter of weeks were able to pivot to supporting the payroll protection loans that were part of the early COVID relief act. So that, that example is multiplied many times over across government. But another thing that is a practice that worked that maybe want agencies want to consider as a form of agile moving forward is to bring together a cross-functional decision-making team, sort of a virtual command center where you have all the different players who need to be part of decision-making who can come together quickly, make decisions, take action, monitor that, understand what's happening, and then iterate. And so that, that kind of practice works in, in time, you know, crisis times as well as normal times. It's been fabulous talking to you both today as we, as we get ready to wrap up this section. So much of what you've both talked about in the paper and with us today has been the imperative for change. And so let's start with you, Casey, and then give Dan the last word and ask for your parting advice to our audience on successfully driving change to become more agile. Casey? You know, one of the things that is necessary to drive change is focus. And one of the reasons we've seen so many success stories in the COVID response is because that was the thing that agencies had to deal with, departments and agencies had to deal with. And so that that need for focus to identify the key things you've got to get done in the time that this administration is, timeframes the administration is looking at, is remains an imperative. The other thing that goes along with that is culture, understanding how work gets done in your organization and working within that culture to accomplish change. Fabulous. Dan, last word? So I think agility in all its forms only reemphasizes the fact that it's all about a team working together. And teams working together work best when their incentives are aligned. So in addition to the culture issues that Casey talked about, if you've got people working to different endpoint objectives, they're, they're not going to be able to work in an agile way and they're not going to be able to deliver a result and outcome quickly for the American people. So change often involves getting people together, but also involves having people agree and having their leaders agree on a set of imperatives that each person on that team is moving toward, whether they're in government and industry. And that can be a, a powerful tool in incentivizing change across a team. Fabulous. Casey Coleman is the Senior Vice President for Global Government Solutions at Salesforce. Dan Chinock is the Executive Director of the IBM Center for the Business of Government. Casey and Dan, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Dave. Fantastic to be here. Thank you. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break. And when we return, resiliency and infrastructure. I'm Dave Wendergren, and you're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Welcome back. You're listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. I'm Dave Wintergren. Today, we've been offering insights and advice from well-known leaders who participated in ACT-IAC's Agenda 2021 project. In our final segment of the show, I'm joined by Alan Belutis, most recently a distinguished fellow and senior director at Cisco, and he's had a long and distinguished career in both industry and government. Welcome, Alan. 
Thank you, Dave, and, and thank you for using distinguished twice. I'm like distinguished square. Double distinguished, my friend. Yeah. We're also joined today by Mark Foreman, who has served in a number of senior positions in industry and in government, served as the first federal CIO. Glad to have you, Mark. And we're also delighted to have Dave McClure, a leader of transformational IT initiatives at Accenture Federal Services, who previously served in government at both GSA and GAO. Delighted you could join us, Dave. Thank you, Dave. Alan, Mark, and Dave, along with Richard Spires, another industry leader and former CIO at DHS and IRS, were the co-authors of the Transforming Infrastructure and Managing Risk paper for the Agenda 2021 project. Gentlemen, the paper reads like it was ripped from the headlines on some truly national priorities. Dave, let's go ahead and start with you in cyber resiliency. Addressing cybersecurity infrastructure risks and vulnerabilities remains a national imperative only increasing in importance given recent events like the solar winds incident. What are some of the key cyber recommendations the group's been working on? Oh, well, thanks, Dave. And I think you make a great point. Cyber has been around a long time and resiliency has been a topic around for a long time. This is very real. When you see the attacks broad and vulnerable as it is today, and some of the activities that, as you mentioned, the solar winds and the uh, Microsoft Exchange uh, attack, this stuff has got to be uh, addressed effectively. So let me make three quick points about cyber resiliency. First of all, it's a multi-faceted challenge. There are no magic bullets here. There's no magic solution. It's often addressed in government. Cyber resilience is often addressed in government without a real risk management underpinning. And I think that's what most of the discussion is about today in the cyber arena is how do we enhance the risk management aspect and put things in perspective. There needs to be more emphasis on on properly executed ATOs and obviously on effective CDM tools, but risk underpinnings, understanding that, communicating that, agreeing on prioritization of those risks is really key. Second point is a, a field of vision. I think what we're finding is that most CIOs are crippled in their agencies because they lack a field of vision of what's happening across their agencies at an enterprise level. They have an array of tools an array of techniques to detect and respond, but these are often put in in a patchwork fashion, and there's not really an enterprise view of what's happening in real time to them and what they can do to prevent things from happening. That just simply has to change. And, and lastly, the last point is I think uh, we have some reform efforts underway in FISMA. There's a cyber EO coming out. I think we need to, again, step back and look at what's working and what's not working. There is a heavy emphasis on reporting and less emphasis on identifying major risks and what we can do to stop and prevent them from occurring. And I think we need to change, make sure we change the dialogue to make sure that we're putting in place effective best practices that lead us toward, quite honestly, zero trust type or architectures, but in a way that is manageable and doable with uh, resources. Fabulous. Zero trust. There are so many new imperatives in cybersecurity that we have to get, get with, as they say. Mark, uh, another key tenet of the Agenda 2021 work has been the need for significant improvement of the nation's physical infrastructure. One need look no farther than last winter's ice storm in Texas, whether it's about our interstate highways or the information superhighway from the electric grid to bridges or broadband access. access infrastructure improvement is certainly a top priority. What's your advice on prioritization and focus going forward on the physical infrastructure front? It's very simple. 
priorities have to reflect risk. Uh, too often, government makes decisions on, on where to invest in, in infrastructure based on who fills in a form correctly. And uh, the first people to get the form filled in or the ones with the biggest political connections get the, uh, the projects for these infrastructure. But the world's changed dramatically. Uh, in today's era, you have IoT devices in virtually all the, these legacy infrastructure elements, whether it's clean water, uh, highways and maintaining highways, the internet, telecom networks, they're connected, they're metered with IoT devices. And then we have satellite data and other data sources. And government needs to focus more of its resources on understanding and targeting the risk. And then the investments need to go to mitigate those risks, leveraging that data. So data analytics matched up with information about these connected devices that are tied to the infrastructure. That's the big change. In essence, it means you got to understand the risk priorities and you have to also understand where the biggest likelihood of that investment being successful. We've seen major problems in the projects, major capital type projects because of poor project management. So likelihood of success on pulling off the project successfully, but also now understanding where the risk is to focus those efforts. So Alan, let's turn to you now. We started today's show highlighting the overarching imperative of the Agenda 2021 work to deliver outcomes and build trust. There's a tight linkage to effective risk management and building trust in government. What advice would you offer government leaders on next steps to accelerate enterprise risk management efforts? Well, of course, this is an administration, Dave, that has come in almost dealing with an unprecedented situation in terms of the challenges, both domestic and international, and the crises that they're dealing with in terms of economic pressures and healthcare issues. And they've set out a very active, aggressive, and ambitious agenda, one that views government as integral to the solution. And I think for many of the things that we've talked about during the course of your uh, earlier segments of your show, the focus on the citizen, the increased delivery of service, big data and analytics, bolstering the infrastructure is is key. The, and, and by that, I mean not the, the portion that Mark Foreman dealt with in uh, response to your earlier question, but the IT infrastructure of the nation and the federal government uh, being able to deliver this new array of services that is foundational. And I think, as you know, citizens aren't going to uh, come to the government for these services unless they find them useful, accessible, but most importantly, they trust that their privacy and security is going to be uh, protected. Excellent. And gentlemen, I'm going to say, as we get ready to wrap up this segment, we're going to do a lightning round. I'm going to ask you the impossible, but uh, because it changes such a big topic, but you know, as we move from risk avoidance to risk management, it's going to require significant cultural change. So maybe 30 seconds each from you, if I could get like a change leadership piece of advice that you'd like to offer our audience, we'll, we'll start with Dave, we'll go back to Mark and then we'll give Alan the last word. Dave, what's a piece of change leadership advice from your life experience that you'd like to offer to the audience today? Well, I think it goes back to some points that were made earlier about culture shift and how we need to address cyber resiliency with a fresh thinking. We have great automation 
and analytics that can be put to bear to do the punt, pass, and kick cybersecurity. And I think that's what's needed. That allows us to move our talent, our skills, our thinking into real risk management techniques from a whole of nation approach, by the way, not just for cyber, and but also for infrastructure, critical infrastructure, and for all other areas. So I think that's the key is trying to open the lens, open the aperture for how we can do this more effectively than what we've been doing in the past, which is heavily compliance and reportable here. Fabulous. Mark, 30-second soundbite on change leadership. What you got? Make transparent the facts. Too often these decisions have been made on uh, politics or parochial concerns, whether it's cyber or infrastructure. The data need to be transparent. The debates need to be open. And Alan, you get to have the last word today. And Well, I would go back to one of our key recommendations in the report, the establishment of an enterprise risk office. A number of Fortune 50 companies have created such entities. We have a number of groups in government that are great at diagnosing and doing autopsies after the fact. I think we need uh, the establishment of a group that looks beforehand and mitigate uh, risk with a greater chance to ensure success and thereby ensure delivery and build trust. Alan Belutis, Mark Foreman, and Dave McClure are all outstanding and distinguished leaders in the federal tech community. I'd like to thank you all for joining us today. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today's episode. So I'd like to thank all of our guests for offering such thoughtful insights. Times of change are indeed times of opportunity. And there are a lot of outstanding opportunities to deliver mission outcomes and build trust. I'm Dave Wintergren. Thank you for joining us, and I hope you'll be back for future episodes. You've been listening to Accelerating Government, brought to you by ACT-IAC on Federal News Network. Thanks for listening to Accelerating Government with ACT-IAC. You can listen to this episode and past episodes anytime in your podcast feed. Search for Accelerating Government on Podcast One, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts.